0: Welcome back to another episode of Bobcast. Today on Bobcast, we have Travis Chapel. On Bobcast, it's less about achievements and accolades. It's more about moments to me. And it's about the moments that change people's lives and hearing other people describe them. On this episode, we have entrepreneur, investor, uh, top 100 podcast host, the creator of Build Your Network, uh group courses webinars podcasts launch uh, i mean the list goes on of what this guy does and uh I actually just cold dm'd him on instagram and got connected and then he i you know joined his group and then it turned into this cra- i met so many people and just a great guy uh, i mean i'll just let the episode speak for itself but this is bobcast with travis Chapel quick message from the sponsor thanks for listening if you're a content creator like me you've needed music background beats for videos projects anything um and for me i'm a music producer i can go and make my own beat but sometimes i just don't have the time and i don't want to go on youtube and use a beat that's been used hundreds of thousands of times by other people so soda beats eliminates this issue whether you have 10 years of music experience or 10 minutes you can make a beat on here you can take uh, you know, 20 minutes and whip something up really fast uh, just, you know, uh, to use as background music, or you can take hours and create a masterpiece. It's up to you. But Soda Beats makes it easy. It's a complete web-based platform, royalty-free with for-profit use. You can go and take your beat, do whatever you want with it after. To be honest, I think it's just fun to make beats on there too. It's a, I, I just, I love it. It's web-based. Open it up in Chrome um, when, you, when you have a few minutes and, and mess around and make something awesome. So uh, Soda Beats, best way uh, to make beats online right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Bobcast today on the podcast. I have Travis Chapel. I actually found him a couple of weeks ago. I think I found you on your Instagram ad first, and then that led me through a whole journey of listening to your podcast and figuring out who you are and I'm like, man, if you have four hundred reviews on it, it's hard to get you know ten reviews on a podcast, so I look and you know this guy's this guy's doing it and uh and then I, I thought you were just the podcast, you know, guy per se, but then I realized you have an entire, you know, sales journey from the door to door to the water treatment to everything. And it really stood out to me, uh, as far as my journey goes too. and just kind of doing a bunch of different things and, uh, you know, coming from, or ending up, you know, with ending up creating podcasts. So, uh, Travis, I really appreciate you uh, coming on here today. And if you could just give the folks, you know, a little background on yourself, um, maybe what you're doing now and we'll probably backtrack a little bit and go from there.
1: Yeah, happy to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, thanks for checking out the stuff and and for looking into into my story a little bit. Uh, but yeah, you kind of you kind of nailed it there. I I grew up in a like less than traditional place. I, I mean, less than traditional, meaning like not super mainstream, but um, extremely traditional from uh, values and moral standpoint. It was True. like a small you know, sect of a religious community, essentially, uh, that, I, that I grew up in from the time that I was like three till the time I was 21. And um, so I, there, there wasn't a lot of, uh, I, I was just basically going to go into ministry when I when I grew up, I, there wasn't a lot of like, hey, what do you want to do with your life? Like, what are your skills? You know, like, hey, if you want to do that career path, you need these types of transcripts and grades, and you should look for that scholarship and apply for this grant. Like, there was none of that that was happening. It was basically just like, you're either going to be in ministry, you're not going to be in ministry. And I chose to be in ministry at the time. And uh, so I ended up, that's what I was in college for, and uh, I was, I was in college for I, I double majored in Bible and church ministries. Um, was and, that a private school then? Or yeah, yeah okay, yeah. it's private private school. Um, you know, it, it, it's already a useless degree just because it's in Bible and church ministries. But also, it was an unaccredited school, so it's even more useless because it's not even an accredited degree. <laughs> wow. But uh, but anyway, that I was just uh, my my plan was just to be a ministry, so none of that really mattered to me. And then um, what happened was I was uh, in 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 college, and a, a buddy of mine started knocking doors. At the time I was just running a small landscaping company that I started when I was in high school. And uh, never, I, I didn't make like a ton of money with it, so this uh, door-to-door sales thing that my buddy started in, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Um, because I, I never I never had a job job because I didn't really like the idea of somebody else making as much money as I was making when I was doing a better job than they were doing at the same job. You know what I mean? I was just like, wait a second. So I'm doing a better job, I'm putting my effort into this and giving it my all and this person's not and they get paid the same, you know what I mean? Like I, I did not like that idea at all, which is why I had my own business and, um, and rewarded myself for my own work. And and so I liked the idea of the sales job because it had an hourly like base pay, but it also had you know, production and commission and bonuses and all that kind of stuff. And so I was like, wait a second, so I'll get paid like a, a set amount base uh, just for putting in the hours. But if I do well, then I can get paid a lot more than that. Okay, cool. Let's check this out. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of my sales career. Um, just honestly, I think I've just like a natural inclination towards sales. I think it was something that was kind of in my DNA that I was that I was that I was pretty good at naturally, but then I also enjoyed it to which made it more fun for me to learn about it and become better at it. It makes and,
0: you want to do it more too, right? Probably.
1: Yeah, sure. And, and I'm naturally a competitive person anyway. So when there's a big like sales environment where there's twenty, thirty reps, and, a, and some of them are a lot of them are your, your friends and college, you know, fellow college students and stuff. Like I took that as a challenge too, and I've always been really competitive in that regard. So when I started doing well with it, I was like, okay, this is something that I can really take. You know. Uh, almost almost like something that I drew started started drawing my identity from and it became like a big part of my life and so I started really uh, getting pretty good at at door-to-door sales by the time I graduated college I decided that I didn't really want to be in ministry um, at that point and so I just kind of fell back on door-to-door I didn't really have anything else at that point I didn't have any other obviously any job experience I didn't you know my degree was more or less useless to help me get into a career path or anything so when I decided I wasn't being in ministry it was just like well you know this door-to-door sales thing seems to be working out pretty well so I just kind of went went all in on that. And the first year out of college, I was 20, 21, 22. Um, and I was knocking doors up in Fresno selling alarm systems. And that was my first ever six figure year. Was I doing door to door sales uh, selling alarm systems out of college? And uh, from that point forward, I just kind of took a look into my future. And you know, I was just like, well, you know, this was a pretty good year. I made six figures, and I'm you know, 21, uh, 22, 23 at the time, and um. The cool thing about door-to-door was that if you're in a year-round program, there's usually two ways door-to-door crews work, like they're either summer programs or they're year-round. And in summer programs, you're working like 10, 12-hour days because you work for four months and that's it. But in year-round programs, we only worked like three to four hours a day because we just go knock whenever people were home, which was like four o'clock to seven o'clock at night. So, you know, I was working 15 to 25 hours a week and uh, having a good time. Like the, the company I worked at, we were you know hung, hanging out every weekend and having parties. And, and uh, it was just like a fun environment. I was young and I didn't have a long work week and I made six figures. Like at that point I was like, hey, pat myself on the back and pretty happy about it. But then eventually what happened is I took a look into the future and I decided that, hey, look, the people that have been here for a long time and the people that are two decades older than I am, I don't want to be in that position when I'm 35, let alone 45. And so I was just like, okay, If I don't change my trajectory now on purpose, then I'm just going to end up wherever the wind takes me. And that's not my idea of living the life that I want to live. And so I... Uh, at that point took a step back, even though I just had a really good year and I stopped knocking doors for a little while. My wife went back to work. Uh, We cashed in on a real estate deal that we had and uh, I was just able to kind of sit down and get into personal development for the first time, which is the first time I ever listened to a podcast. And um, after listening for a while, I just kind of started thinking like, man, this would be a lot of fun. Like this would be a really cool way to make a living if I could make it happen. And uh, that's when when I kind of jumped into the industry.
0: Wow. That's, uh, yeah. And, and we have a lot to talk about as far as podcasts as well. Um, but I'd like to backtrack a little bit just, um, as far as my audience goes and, 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 you know, myself, um, you know, I'm not necessarily doing exactly what I went to school for. I did go to school for business, but, um, business management, but it's, it's so kind of corporatized, you know. They don't teach you any entrepreneurship skills. You probably sure. know that. Um, but you know, as far as you being in college and going to something, going to school for ministry, and then coming out and doing sales, um, you know, what wh- what did your did your parents play a role in that at all? Did they mind? Like, were they confused? You were just all right. I'm just going to go do sales, or were they like, no, you have to go make money. It makes sense. Or like, just the only reason I ask is because you know, at that age. It's really like you might even go to college four, six, eight years just because your parents Extra you know told little, you to. And I, I I talk to these kids every day, and it kills me. Um, you know, so that's that's yeah. really why I ask that.
1: yeah. And I and I think that um, I'm I'm big on the what uh, Gary V preaches on this, which is essentially like if you're not if if you if your parents are still doing everything for you, then you kind of got to do what they want you to do. You know what I mean? So yeah, the sooner that you can you know get off of uh, get off of that support check, you know, the, the, the better. Uh, but for me, it wasn't really about that kind of stuff. For me, it was just because the ministry was a different vocational career path. Like it was very much about like the calling to the ministry and like the things that came along with that. Um, and it was very taken very seriously in that kind of community or culture that I grew up in. Um, so when I left that, Idea. I think. I think my 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 parents had a little bit of a, a, a struggle with it, just because they were kind of like, "Oh man, that kind of stinks," because we we wanted our son to be in that career, in that path, you know. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of like pressure to do one way or the other. Like when I told them, they weren't like, "No," you know, you have to keep doing what you said you were going to do. But they also weren't like, "Yay," you know what I mean? Like it was pretty it was pretty neutral. Like they were pretty supportive of just kind of like, "Hey, what, if that's the path that you think you should go down, you know, we're going to ask you a few questions and make sure that you think that that would be the best thing." But At the end of the day, like you're going to do what you're going to want to do anyway. And uh, I think my dad may have been a little bit more disappointed than my mom was. But either way, they're both like still relatively supportive. I didn't feel like a bunch of pushback from them. However, all the other authority in my life was very much like adamant about my being involved in ministry, um, which like all those people were the people that I grew up you know, idolizing and those were the people I respect like my pastor and my youth pastor and like all those people that in that culture you grow up like having an affinity for. And it was a unique situation because on our campus the The same campus that I went to kindergarten on is also the same campus I went to college on Wow, it was the same exact campus, so I graduated kindergarten, eighth grade, high school, and college on the same exam, same exact like forty acre campus whatever it was, so I knew all the people there very well, like the you know the president and vice president of the college I grew up with their kids. you know what I mean like it was very it was very unique it was a very unique situation in in, in the fact that it wasn't just my parents that were the authority figures that I looked toward and trusted their opinion on. It was a lot of other people that had this assumed like spiritual quote unquote, or biblical quote unquote authority over me. Um, So it was, it was a lot of like Kind of back and forth with with people like that, as well as all the friends that I had made in Bible college, because in that college, there's no other types of degrees. The only degrees that are there are ministerial degrees. So everybody's there for one purpose, for one mission, and that's to like evangelize the lost or whatever you want to say Mm -hmm. or spread the gospel or whatever. And so when, you know, so I got a lot of pushback from everybody else in the culture, except for, except for probably my parents. Um, Even my, my fiance at the time, who is my wife now, I had pushed back from her when I first told her that I was thinking about not going into ministry because her ideal life was being a pastor's <laughs> wife or a youth pastor's wife. And so I was kind of flipping everybody's plans upside down when I decided that that wasn't the path that I wanted to go down. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, you got married early then. Yeah. Yeah. So, I um, married my high school sweetheart. We were in, in, like, in, in that culture, it's very, um, Uh, Very prominent, like all of my college friends were married before we were like 22, you know what I mean, like all of my college friends, which is very obviously opposite of how the rest of society works. Most people now don't get married till they're like 35 if they ever get married. Um, So yeah, I was married when I was 21, uh, engaged at age 20, married at age 21. um, And we had been dating since I was 16. So we'd been together for four or five years, kind of on and off throughout college. Um, and then uh, and then decided to get married after uh, college was over. So it was literally like, you know, grew up in this one spot for my entire life. And then-
0: It's almost then, predetermined, and, right? I mean-
1: Yeah, sure. And, and The and entire it, path. What was crazy is how quickly it changed. It was just like, I've been doing this whole thing my entire life, like literally going to the scene and campus, how quickly
0: right? you changed it. Right. I'm yeah, sure. Really like sure.
1: It. So yeah. Cause literally it was like, you know, I'm going to this campus, like the same campus, like, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I went to kindergarten on this campus and I'm going to college on this campus. So like most people have their, you know, elementary school friends and their middle school friends and their high school friends and their college friends. They're all separate people. They're all separate campuses. They were all different school districts or whatever. You know what I mean? Like for me, it was the same place every single day for 20 years, including Sundays because that's where I went to church and like, you know, soul winning, which was on Saturdays and other youth activities and and youth camps and uh, you know youth conferences and like all of those things were all at this one place. And so when uh, when I so so when I was graduating college, basically the timeline was um, I, I finished in three and a half years. So I didn't. So I took my last semester off. So I finished in. Uh, so I got engaged in July. I finished school in December. Um, I got married in January. I walked across the platform and got my diploma in May. And then in September, we moved to a new city and I bought my first house. So within like a six month period of time, my life flipped upside down and literally nothing looked the same. You know, from living at home my, my whole life to going to this campus every single day for schooling and all that kind of stuff, to all of a sudden like being an adult with real bills, an actual mortgage because I bought a house and a wife to provide for. Like there were so many things that had to change drastically within a period of like six to eight months. So it's pretty crazy to look back on now and and look at like how many things were just like boom, 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 boom. So many changes and so much responsibility that was added on by the time that I was, you know, twenty one.
0: I bet you learned a lot in that, you know,
1: uh, oh, yeah. well, I just eight months. Up. You know, I I didn't have that I didn't have the time period that a lot of twenty somethings take to like figure themselves out and like just, you know, go for broke. And if they don't make it, they can sleep on their parents' couch type of a thing. Like I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of that kind of stuff. I was an adult, you know what I mean? I was an adult with bills and like insurance payments and a mortgage payment and a car payment and like, and cell phone payment, like everything, you know, when I, when I was 21. So I, it, yeah, there's a lot that I had to learn because it, I basically became an adult within a matter of six months instead of taking like five to 10 years to navigate that whole world.
0: Did you do the door-to-door sales in that did you start that in that new city? Yes. Okay, yeah, so that was that's so that's
1: when I started doing alarms.
0: Oh, okay, so that but so that experience um itself much so I my I'm used to selling cars. I sold a lot of cars um okay. and you know it's, it's a lot different. Uh people come to you and then they know what they want and then they sure. buy it. So uh it's definitely a little bit different. Uh and then when I got into kind of corporate sales, I was like, "Whoa, what, this is this is completely different uh, realm, and, and then door to door is completely different too. I think. Right. Um, but so you kind of mentioned you were almost your personality allowed you to be, or it seemed like you were almost predisposed to it. Yeah. Did you yeah. have to? Was there a lot of learning curve, or did you kind of just pick it up? Were there was there a mentor? Where you, you know did your friend tell you, hey, this is the line you have to say, or did you you know what was it like going to those first doors and then getting that first set, and then like how you how how was that learning process?
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, the company had training and stuff, but the the training from the company sucked, to be honest, because like the people that came up with the training were people who never knocked a damn door in their life. They're just like sitting in some corporate executive office and they have to, you know, complete the deliverable task for the day. So the scripts that they gave us, as soon as we got into the field, the field trainer was like, yeah, scrap that. We're not doing any of that. You know what I mean? It was like, okay, so I guess we're doing this new thing. So the field trainer that I had was really good at what he did. Um, But yeah, I just think I just think I had a natural. uh, I just think I had some sort of, you know, natural inclination to to be better than than most people were, and I think that's still one of my main strengths. Is um, it wasn't even the the ability to sell. I think it was just like the lack of fear that most people have around selling. Like I didn't mind talking about that kind of stuff, and and really that's all sales is. And that's all negotiation is like who can remain uncomfortable for a longer period of time because the person who doesn't want to be uncomfortable anymore is going to end the conversation. And they're going to do whatever they got to do to end it. Exactly. (laughs) Which means that they're going to get not as good of deals or they're going to end up buying, like some people will buy just to get you out of their house. Like they just don't, they, they're so uncomfortable um, when they start talking numbers that they just like, they're like, I got to get out of this situation and they'll give you whatever, like, you know, and I just felt like I didn't, didn't really have that, which allowed me to really learn, I think a lot faster um than some other people that were really scared every time like literally every time they knocked on a door
0: yeah and that's the that's the difference yeah and i i don't know if you've ever ever like i assume you've watched the um you know wolf of wall street but i don't know if you've seen i think his name's dean graziosi i think is uh yeah um oh have you interviewed him okay yeah um i love his story talking about selling the meat um and i don't know if you've You probably heard that. Yeah. Um, and that was just crazy to me about how he's like, he came back and you know, there's the truck is, is, is fully unloaded and then they're like, you know, shocked, but he knew exactly what to say. Right. And then some people would even invite him into his house and like the story of inviting the lady, inviting him in and him, waiting an hour for her to get home, like just, just crazy things where, yeah. uh, you know, just off of what, what he said and just how you act in the body language and just being natural people. Um, but yeah. that's crazy. Um, I, another thing I wanted to, uh, touch on was, the, the, uh, property that, that you flipped, I think you mentioned in a podcast, in another podcast, Mm -hmm. um, is is, that you did that when you were quite young too, right?
1: Yeah. So my, my parents have been in real estate for a really long time. Um, my dad probably been doing it for like 25 years at this point. Um, like the, pretty much the majority of my life from the time that I was like Four maybe he was in real estate three or four, um, so a lot of my weekends were spent sitting at open houses and you know like we would go sleep over in some of their rental properties and so I was walking properties and walking houses and stuff like that for a really long time, and so all of the flips that we've done are have been partnered with my parents on on like different deals that they find where they're just like hey you want in on this deal and it's just like yeah sure and so we we kind of jump in and, and help find a couple of deals and um, you know put some money into the deal and, and stuff like that. So yeah, we've done probably like like 10 deals or something like that in the last five or six years.
0: Would you, all right. So I, and I, you've touched on this too of kind of like the entrepreneurship culture ties into this a little bit. Um, there's a lot of things that are on a pedestal, uh, you know, Forex trading, things like that. Uh, I think pro like, I think, you know, uh, real estate is there, but it seems like, you know, you have to have so much money to buy in or it, it's too risky you know, from, from, from a kid just getting out of college, is that something they should think about or is it possible? Sure. My grandfather had three, uh, two family houses. He did really well with that. But, um, you know, the rest of my family didn't do that. So I figured a uh, grown up, I'm like, why does, why did he do that? But then his, his children didn't do that or, sure. or one of them did and three didn't. So it's like, it's always it's like it's almost seems like this thing that sometimes some people do some people make a lot of money but there's a ton of risk so I just wanted to kind of know your opinion on it is it something you would recommend or even look yeah. into
1: Yeah 100% I'd recommend it. It just like the thing is it, you you have to have something is the problem. And a lot of people a lot of people that don't have the money aren't willing to put in the work. So what I mean is when you have to have something, I was like, you got to bring something to the table. You have to bring money to the table. You have to bring a deal to the table or you have to bring time to the table. You have to bring like, you know, a connection to a good contractor or something like that. Like you have to have something to bring to the table if you want some money to be given back to you. That does not mean that you have to bring the money. So like if you're a 20 year old kid and you got all the time in the world and you just wanna go like, try to get into this real estate thing, then you should be doing two things. Learning as much as you freaking possibly can about real estate and your specific local market. And number two, looking for deals. That's it. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about any of that stuff. If you can get, if you can learn and get enough knowledge to understand what a good deal is, and then you can find a good deal, I guarantee you somebody will give you money for it. I guarantee you. If you can find a good enough deal, you can find somebody to give you money for it. Like getting money for a deal isn't the difficult part. Finding the deal that's good enough to put money on is the difficult part. And so if you as a 20-year-old kid can can partner with somebody who, you know, will just be like, hey, man, you know, like a doctor or a dentist in your area that's got, uh, you know, a million dollars sitting in a bank account and it's just like rotting with, you know, the cost of inflation, like, and you can be like, hey, man, I'll, um, you know, like you don't have to do anything. I'll do all of the work, I'll hire the contractors, I'll hire the labor um, we'll make it all legal and put your name on the contract. And like, if, if it goes south, you'll own the property, not me. Like you'll have a bunch of contingencies in place to make sure that like they're taken care of and their risk is taken care of. And you say like, you just provide the money, I'll do all the work and we'll split the profit 50 50. Like you don't have to provide any money at that point. All you have to do at that time is like I said, be good at what you do because you don't want to get yourself into that type of financial risk if you don't know what you're doing. Right. Um, and all you have to do is put in the time. So if you can put in the time to learn and find deals, then you can become a real estate investor like next month. You know what I mean? Like people just have this huge. You know, it, it just that it's just that people aren't willing to do the work. Like people aren't willing to do the work to go find an investor to give them the money. People aren't do, willing to do the work to learn as like as much as they can about real estate investing and what makes a good deal versus what makes a bad deal. And people aren't willing to put in the time to uh, to farm uh, to farm deals and go look for deals. Um, you know, it, it just people aren't willing to do the work. And if you're not willing to do the work, and then you have to be able to bring the money to the table. You know what I mean? Like so, you either you either got to be that guy that's lending the the person. the, the, you know, the money or you got to be the guy that's doing all the work to like, you know, use that person's money who's lending. Like you can't, people want the best of both worlds. It's like, well, what if I could do nothing and also yeah, and make, make all, all this money? money? <laughs> and they, well, that's not how it works. Like yeah. you have to take on the financial risk or you got to put in the time and the work and the effort to find- Or work money. for
0: somebody that does it too, right? I mean, I get some yeah, experience like,
1: too. Well, there's yeah. a bunch of different ways to partner with people, man. Like yeah. if you, if you just want to go find somebody that's a flipper and be like, Hey, I'll like teach me how to be your project manager and I'll do it for free for 10% of the profit on these deals. So you can like get to know like what that process looks like then at that point all you have to do if, if that person starts trusting you and to, to like manage projects then you can start being the one to bring a deal to the table and then that person will be willing to pay you trust me they will be willing to pay you tremendously more for that deal if you brought it to the table and you're gonna manage the deal for them and they're just taking a percentage at that point and then pretty soon you're like doing your own deals and you have your own investors like there's a clear path to success if that's the way if that's the path that you want to go down uh, the problem is people think that they can just do it you know they can just make mailbox money without having any money invested or time invested, like that's, that's just all a myth. Like you've got to bring something to the table. If you want to bring something to the table, then you can get paid big on, on, on real estate deals now, specifically for this current climate, for this current climate is get to know your market, find some experts in the area. Don't listen to me on this right now, just because Corona is crazy and it could potentially like tip the market on a, on a, on a, you know, few year long recession and downturn or we might be able to recover and see a big upswing. Like, I don't know what your local market looks like just to kind of protect myself on this advice. Uh, But I, I would say, I would say that like, in most situations, it's definitely possible and totally doable to make money in real estate, even if you don't have any money to invest in real estate personally.
0: I think making those connections is very important as well as, I think just, you know, when you have no skills, it's so hard to get the confidence to even try to go like learn them and like learn them from somebody. Mm-hmm. Cause you're like, I don't even have the, va- like, I don't even have any validation to go ask somebody. Right. So it's all about, like you're saying is it's really about that ask. And I think that's just hard for a lot of, especially young people to do is they're like, I have no skills. How could I help this guy? where it's just really about you being out there and, you know, actually doing it and offering your time. And that's all you have. That's all you have, right? Like
1: all you can do is offer what you have. And if you don't have skills, you don't have knowledge, you don't have money, you don't have anything. Mm -hmm. What you do have is like, by definition, if you don't have any of that other stuff, then you got a lot of time on your hands. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yes, you got got something. (laughs) And people, and people, most people who are successful, that's the one thing that they lack more than anything is extra time. So if you can go in and add time to their, their like asset, you know, uh, add time to their assets, like, you know, like that's a valuable thing, man. Like again, it just be willing to be willing to do it for free or be willing to do it for like a huge discount. Just like, like I think too many young people, really young people prioritize earning over learning. And I think that there should be, I think that there should be more of a congruence on those things. It should be earning while learning or learning you know so that you can earn more you know because obviously like if you have two people that are coming out of college and like so let's say you're coming out of college bro and then you have your buddy you know who's also coming out of college and he goes and he uses his degree to go get a job and he gets a sixty thousand dollar salary right off the bat and you know, 10 years down the road, he gets, you know, maybe up to $90,000 or whatever. That seems like a really cool career path, right? And, And then you say that, compare that to what you do, and you're gonna go out there and you're gonna go find this real estate investor that makes eight figures a year on real estate, and you're gonna go work for him for free. And all he's going to do is like, you know, pay your rent or something like that like you work out some crazy deal where you do a ton of work and you don't get paid a lot of money it seems like the other guy's situation is better but the thing is is he's prioritizing earning instead of learning, and he can no longer compound his knowledge when he gets older. So if you compare the 10 year, you know, he might earn $60,000 a year right now, and then $90,000 in 10 years from now. And right now you might earn $0 a year or $15,000 a year. But in 10 years from now, you have so much more knowledge, you have so much more connections because people who are successful are also well connected typically, like you have knowledge, you have connections, you have experience, you have a plethora of information around this thing. because you. You've worked so much on learning that now at this point at age 30, instead of earning $90,000 salary and being chained to a desk like your buddy is, you know, because he took the quote unquote safe path or whatever, you're now in business for yourself, flipping your own houses and you're making seven figures plus on your own doing the thing that you took the last 10 years to learn from somebody else who is already an expert at that thing. And you're using like that person's contractor contact and you're using that person's real estate agent contacts and you're using that person's private lending contract contacts. Maybe that person's even giving you money for deals. Like, you know what I'm saying? There, there's, yep. there, there's this huge pressure from culture on a 21 year old kid to have everything figured out. And it's just total bullshit. It's total bullshit. Like you do not have to have life figured out when you're, when you're age 21. And that's why you have so many people that are reinventing themselves at age 35. because they 45, 55. Sure, yeah. <laughs> right? They, they did what everybody told them to do for so long. And then they just realized after 15 years of doing it, how much soul-sucking work they were putting mm-hmm. in for so long to have something that like COVID comes around and they get laid off anyway. You know what I mean? To where it's like, man, I thought I was taking the safe path, but in reality, I was just taking somebody else's path. And look, if that's the path you want to go down, great, do that. I'm not saying that one way is right and the other way is wrong. What I am saying is that if you know that you should be doing a different path and you go do the other path just because of what other people think you should be doing, I think that that is wrong because I think that you're not living in congruence with your own self, with like who you are. And I think that that's going to lead to a lot of like unhappiness, unfulfillment, and probably not a lot of money down the road anyway.
0: I don't know why they're so or I, it's so, they're so concerned about the guarantee. Like that's like the flexibility when you're so, when you're young, People like want certainty. certainty they, is they, well, basic exactly. And I, my, my buddy owns a clothing brand. Um, and, uh, and really cool. It does, you know, does a lot of great work and he does a lot of like spiritual work too. Um, and he has a shirt and it just says embrace uncertainty. I'm like, that is the, if you can do that, I mean, then yep. you can get anything. It's like, if you can be comfortable with being uncomfortable, not to sound, you know, cliche, but it's really it. I mean, that's what they want is they want the, but everything is the clear path because it's middle school. Okay. We're like, this is what they tell you. All right. This is what high school is. Then you go to high school. Yep. You're like, it's not that's really right. what they told me, but here I am. And then you're going through and then high school. All right. We're preparing you for college. You get to college. Like, all right. It's like not really what not exactly how I thought it would be, but here I am. And then it's like, all right, we're praying for a job. All right, here I am. And then like and then you realize this is it. It's, it's not like, at all it. what you want no, to do. Yeah. No. Right. And, and it's and, like, all right, good luck yeah. for the next exactly. fifty years. They think that <laughs> like, it, right? Exactly. And they think that is like gonna be That's like I'm gonna get this money and then be happy. It's yeah. like that's I love when they say, um, you know, like when you have, Oh, I know a millionaire and he's not happy. It's like he would be not happy if he had Ten dollars. Right. It's just he's well, not happy person. You
1: know. I mean, the, the the interesting thing about that, bro, is like the people who are always telling you that money doesn't buy happiness are always the people who don't have any money. Yep. Because they want to justify or excuse why they never pursued money in their life, why they never made that one of their big, you know, goals was pursuing money, because like that's what that's what they tell themselves to feel okay with the not money that they have you know what i mean yeah so uh, you know when i talk to people who have money a lot of them by the way agree with that a lot of them and that's my opinion my opinion is that like money is a completely indifferent object it has no bearing on whether or not you're happy or unhappy but i think it's a tool right i mean amplification of the person that you are on the inside Mm -hmm. and if you're not happy right now you're not going to be happy with a lot of money you know what i'm saying but if i'm going to pick to be unhappy with money or without money like, <laughs> bet your ass yeah. i'm going to do it with money you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. i would rather have money regardless of my happiness status but me personally that's why that's why i focus so much on the inner work and on personal development and self development as a whole instead of just making money because i know that if that if i end up where i want to be in terms of my financial goals but i'm not happy right now the financial goals aren't going to fix what's happening on the inside. And so you always have to be working on the inside because I think a life lived in unhappiness is a wasted life, even if you make a lot of money. Um, but that being said, I also think that most people totally take that out of context. And they're always talking about, oh, money doesn't buy happiness. Money doesn't buy happiness. It's like, well, how would you know? You've never had it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. It's funny how much people speak to speak to something that they've never experienced before as if it's like so black and white. It's just like, really, you know, like Mr., you know, career counselor at my high school yeah. that makes $45,000 a year and no knock on these people, by the way, nah. I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying you have to be able to question sometimes what people are saying in, in those types of situations. Cause it's like, well, my career counselor makes $45,000 a year is telling me that like, you know, making money isn't going to like making money. doesn't make you happy. How does that person know? <laughs> I've never had money before. You know what I mean? Like you have to start learning from the people that you want to emulate and the, the people whose success you want to duplicate in your own life. Um, but uh, I think a lot of it starts with that self-awareness factor because, you know, some people, some people, like everybody's going to have different goals. And so there's not a blanket statement answer. There's just not. You just yeah. have to figure out what's going to work for you. And you have to pursue that relentlessly without, without worrying about if other people are going to approve that decision or not.
0: And it's like rich dad, poor dad, like you can't learn money from poor people, like they don't make yeah. it. Like you can't right. well, you have to
1: learn how it's to like, get rich it's from like, people who know who are rich. Like Yeah, sure. It's, it'd be like going to your accountant and asking them to like prescribe you medication or like going to your doctor and asking them to look over your financials. Like it's just not their area of expertise. No. How do you expect them to answer that question in a wise way responsibly if they have never been in that position before? Like you obviously want to still be able to try to learn from everybody that you come in contact with, but the weight of the advice has to change dependent upon the path that person has chosen for their life.
0: I wish we had successful guidance counselors. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> all of mine were just <laughs> like guidance counselors. In. Yeah, yeah right? right. Exactly. Like yeah, let's bring consult- the people from the yeah. top down right. and have exactly. them talk um, and have all these business leaders. Like they have the most, you know, wisdom about this um, right. and how to build a life. But I'm really, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you touched on the, the inner work. I'd like to you know talk about that a little bit. I just recently, uh, you know, uh, recently listened to your episode with Aubrey. I, I've been following him oh, since, dope since i've been following joe i've been i mean joe's the reason that i make podcasts at all and been watching him for eight eight years or whatever at this point um and you know been following aubrey for for probably five or six too kind of from that but um as far as your um you know as you're in as far as your inner work goes do you have a a daily routine uh is that what like what's the crux like for me it's it's i you know i meditate and i have a morning routine that's really my thing but everybody's is different so you know, what, what do you do to kind of, you know, uh, maintain that self-awareness or build upon it?
1: Yeah. So I'm not as much of like a strict uh, morning routine person as much as I am like a constant thinker. And uh, as long as I'm getting my personal development time in, like in terms of um, whether that's reading a book or listening to an audiobook or listening to a podcast or watching a YouTube video, like in whatever regard, as long as I'm getting something like that in before my head hits the pillow at night, i'm that I'm usually good and and a lot of times that's on my run. I'll just listen to an audiobook or something like that on a run. Um, but uh, but for me, a lot of it is um, setting down setting aside time. To get to know me, and doing more yearly activities that help me get to know me a little bit more, uh, because there's never any, there's never anything prior to you doing it on your own that helps you to get to know you. Like everything you always learn is from the perspective of, of other people. You know what I'm saying? Like from your parents, from your teachers, from the books that you read, like outside influences. It's all about getting to know somebody else's perspective on the way the world works. So. If you never take the time to really sit down and figure out who you are and get to know yourself on an intimate basis, then how do you expect to know what you want? How do you expect to live a life of happiness and fulfillment if you can't even like articulate the things that you want to get out of life? And so nobody really ever takes the time to even teach us how to do that, no. first of all. You know what I mean? But um, But then… To actually do it after that is, you know, nobody ever does that. I just remember thinking, like, I remember four or five years ago, a mentor of mine telling me, you know, I was coming up to a big decision and they're like, hey, take some time by yourself. Like, go out by yourself, like, maybe even take a night away and just spend time by yourself. Like, don't watch TV or anything like that. Just like, spend some time by yourself. And I remember thinking at the time, like, that sounds boring I myself. That, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, what are you talking about? There's no way I can do that. That's that, that. that's a lot of time. And now I spend so much time with myself, man. Like it's so funny looking back on, on that conversation and, and remembering, thinking about how, how much that seemed like just a waste of time and seemed almost like torture to just be like sitting by myself for a long period of time. But now I like yearn for those times where I can just go for a drive and not put on music, not put on a podcast, not do anything except for just think and be, with me be with my thoughts and get to know me a little bit better Um, and that's why I like athletics and uh, physical things so much because I think you get to know yourself so much when you're in those types of situations where you're pushing yourself beyond what you think is your physical limit Um, you really get to know yourself in those situations like uh, you, you really get to know yourself in situations of struggle Um, the difference is that most people will bottle it up and bury it deep down. Whereas you have to be willing to have the conversation with yourself and ask yourself questions like, why am I feeling like this? Why am I behaving like this? Why am I acting like this?
0: Or even just observing the emotions itself. I feel like is very difficult.
1: Just doing that, if you can learn to do that, you will be on a path to personal development that nobody else can put you on because like just being able to view a situation as an intrinsic situation and not assign any sort of values or feelings or emotions about the situation to them when you describe the situation, just doing that will help you tremendously. It's helped me a lot to be able to look at a situation, one that I feel really badly about, right? Like I've a lot of negative emotions around and just look at the situation. You know, maybe it's somebody screwed me over on a business deal and it's just like, okay, Way. I'm looking at this as a bad situation, and, and I'm taking a lot of victimhood on, and I'm taking like a lot of of of, um, of guilt on. Like, why am I feeling like this? And how would I describe the situation to a third party without any bias at all? And then just try to describe the situation that way without any sort of like value assignment or um, morality or right or wrong assigned to the situation, and just describe it as if it was a situation that happened to somebody else over there, and take emotion out of the equation, like just the practice of doing that will will set you on a on a path to personal development, um, and really start enabling you to get to know yourself, because it's never a good idea to just keep burying those things deep down inside. um, Because eventually, it's got to come out. And, uh, and so you got to you got to really learn how to start dealing with those with those negative emotions and really start getting to know yourself on a deeper level. Um, So you know, whether that's listening to books or meditating or writing out affirmations or just thinking, like spend some time getting to know yourself and spend some time, you know, doing things that fire you up and make you happy. Um, because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else.
0: So true. Yeah. I, I've been meditating for like two years, maybe two and a half at this point, And, you know, sometimes it's like a month and I feel like, why am I even doing this? Like I'm not here feeling anything or nothing's changed. And then there's a day when I have like zero thoughts or something where it's just like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. And then yeah. that, then it makes sense. Or at least just like the other day, something happened, whatever, like, uh, you know, lost the audio for a podcast or something stupid where I would just get like angry normally. Right. It's right. like, all right. do and, like, and then you let yeah. it
1: take over the rest of your yes. life. Yes.
0: And it just like, yes, it influences everything. Right. Or and like even if you don't yeah. mean
1: to, like like you, yeah. you get you get really upset at something that happened at nine a.m. and then yes. you never take the time to set the intention for the next task. So you just carry that negative emotion with you, and then by the time it's like three thirty p.m., you're like, why am I? Why have I been in such a bad like just shitty upset angry mood all day?
0: And then you consider and, it a, like a shitty day. Then it's like a bad yeah, right. day, exactly. and then you oh, just, just classified the whole day, right. and it's and like gave yourself I, an yeah.
1: excuse to act the way that you mm. did because you're allowing those external circumstances to be the things that control your emotions instead of you controlling your emotions, which if like once you can learn to take responsibility for everything that happens in your life, you'll start to realize that so many more things are within your capacity to control than you previously thought.
0: Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> There's you got to take yeah, take like extreme ownership, right? I think that's Jocko Willinks. Yep. Uh, what he have you interviewed him? Not yeah. yet.
1: No. Not, no. Not he
0: would he he's one man. That's uh one of my dream guests, you know. Um yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, but that's I mean that's it, right? If you can take that extreme Hey, listen, I'm not going to get up at four and work out, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will try yes. to take ownership for you know the things <laughs> yeah. that happen, you know. Got um, somewhere, bro. Yeah, man, exactly. I mean, what a what a savage, man. <laughs> but, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I don't want to forget to, uh, you know, bring up the, the podcast and kind of the reason that I found you. Uh, yeah. and so what kind of brought you to, I think you, you know, you touched on a little bit, but, but what, what brought you to, to start, what made you start your own podcast? And then did, how did, did people come to you after that to start yours? And then did that kind of flourish into, into what you're doing now or kind of just curious about the context on the, on the podcast themselves?
1: So like on why I started my podcast?
0: Yeah. uh, What made you get into it? And then how did you end up, you know, helping other people?
1: Yeah. So my podcast specifically, I, it was during that time period when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. It was after door-to-door sales and it was the first time I ever dove into personal development and I was doing it for the purpose of like, my back was kind of against the wall and I was like, what am I going to, what am I going to do? Like if I'm not in ministry and I'm not going to do door-to-door, like, I was like a 14 year old kid again at that point, you know, like, man, I could be, I looked up, I looked up everything, man. Seriously. I, I looked up, uh, applications for like literally being an FBI agent. Um, I looked up, um, the selection process for the fire department, um, like police, like I looked at, I looked at so many different career options at that point, like a regular 14 or 15 year old shouldn't be doing. And, um, and eventually. Through the medium of podcasting, was just like really turned on to the idea of starting a podcast, and I was trying on this guy named John Lee Dumas, and he runs a show called Entrepreneur on Fire, mm-hmm. and it was you know one of the top business shows ever in, in Apple Podcasts, And so I he has his as uh, his, his website, eofire.com. And I'm sure John gets a ton of traffic from me because I always tell this story, um, but uh, but he, he deserves it. Uh, so eofire.com, you can go look at all of his income reports. So every income report on a monthly wow. basis from 2013 or whatever, the time that he started to show 2012, you can pull up every single month in their history and see how much um, gross revenue they made, how many expenses they had and what their net profits were. Literally broken down like line item by line item. Wow! And so I remember looking at those when I was when I was uh, thinking about starting a podcast. And I was like, Wait a second, this guy made a quarter million dollars last month in revenue, and then like two hundred and twenty thousand dollars in net profit. Like, how is he doing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how is yeah. he how is he maintaining these crazy high net profit margins? And like by doing a podcast, it's um, it seems unbelievable. Yeah, he gets yeah he gets to travel, he gets to have awesome conversations with high level entrepreneurs. Like he gets to do all the things that I want to do, and he makes a lot of money doing it. And uh, so I was just I was just totally turned on the idea through looking at like what was possible through those other avenues. And so um, when uh, when I created. When I created my show, that was really the reason, was that it, it, I, I saw the, the, the future potential. Like if I can make it happen, then I could have everything that I wanted. Because the one thing that, that uh, sales didn't give me was autonomy of location. I wanted to be able to travel, I love traveling. I've been to 30 plus countries now, and I love just getting out and traveling and seeing the world and so i i knew that i knew that sales would always kind of limit me to a certain geographic location and I, I wanted something to do that would be able that i would be able to like travel around with and so uh podcasting was was definitely checked off that box um, and then with, um, with like high or unlimited earning potential, checked off that box. So there are a few things that are checked off. And, and I think one thing that I was pretty decent at, like kind of growing up and throughout college was writing. I think that like when I wrote a paper, um, I, I wouldn't say that I was really good at it or really talented, but I just think that when I would look, when I would read somebody else's paper versus my paper in the same class, I was like, I think I'm a, like, a, just a little bit naturally, you know, better at, forming thoughts and sentences, but I had zero desire to blog. I was like, I don't enjoy writing at all. So I have no desire to continue down that vein of thought. But then I was just like, well, podcasting is essentially blogging in like, like audibly. Stalking, yeah. <laughs> it's just <an> audible blog. <laughs> yeah. That's literally what a podcast is. So um, after really researching it a bunch, like that was really the only reason that I, that I got into, that I got into the space
0: and uh, then yeah and, yeah oh sorry no no go ahead go ahead yeah so um and then so what was the first podcast is the one you continue to do to, to they, build, your network. Yeah. build your network right yeah okay yeah. and you have another one as well right yeah so we just launched a okay. world class like two okay months. i did watch a couple episodes on that okay
1: yeah
0: um but yeah so so then you launched building your network and how and that's guess that's guest based from the beginning yeah um just
1: from people that you knew um Yeah. So that was the interesting part, man, is like I, when I started my show, I had zero connections, like zero. When I left that whole church world, I basically like lost a lot of the connections that I had for my entire life because my entire life was basically in that world. Um, so I didn't know any successful business people. Like I didn't really, I, I didn't have a Rolodex of people at all back when I started. And, um, Uh, But that was kind of the concept of the show was build your network like I wanted to learn how to network better and I wanted to build my own network while teaching other people how to build their network. And that was kind of what the idea of the show was. So I just kind of got in and started doing it. I made a ton of mistakes, but also I was like I took my persistence that came from my door to door career and just applied it to a different realm and, um, and started just getting to know people and building relationships with high quality individuals within the, within the industry, and then capitalizing on those opportunities, getting introductions to other people. And then it kind of just started spreading like wildfire, you know? So
0: did you know you were going to make a, I mean, make a business out of it from the beginning? I know, like you said, you, you know, saw his numbers and everything. You're like, this is possible, but. Was that were you like, okay, first episode I made, you know, whatever to zero dollars and and then by the tenth I want to make a hundred or like no, 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 how, did, so how did that kind of you know play in?
1: So I knew that I wanted to turn it into a business, but I had no idea what that business was going to be because basically like the lesson that I learned from JLD was create content, free, valuable, consistent content. Like it has to be valuable free and it has to be consistent and so like you know create really high quality consistent content for a certain period of time if you do that and you do it well enough you'll start to build a little bit of an audience then all you have to do is really get to know that audience spend time with them like ask them questions and then build solutions to the problems that they're having regarding the topic that you're talking about and that was it so uh, for me that turned into like my very first monetization point was building up a mastermind. And then um, and then I did another mastermind and then another mastermind. My first one was like a thousand bucks for three months and I bought them event tickets to a, a big event out here in Vegas that were 800 bucks a piece. So I literally lost money if you count in the amount of time that I spent with those people on that first mastermind. But my the, the last one that I filled up was $12,000 mastermind and I was able to fill that up at a live event and have a six figure, like a multiple six figure weekend. You know what I mean? So like I had to start somewhere with the monetization um, efforts and I had no idea how it was going to happen. All I knew is that it just made sense to me. It made sense that if I, that if I created free valuable content for people and then I got to know them and they told me what some of the problems were that they were facing surrounding that topic, all I had to do was create the solution to the problem and then give it back to them because I've already, I've already done the hard part at that point, right, which is earning trust. Yeah. Earning trust is the hard point. And, and you know that from sales. Like earning trust is a difficult part. Number if you one. Somebody's trust. That's why I, I used to tell my door-to-door reps all the time. Like, hey, it's all about getting somebody to trust you because like if you, if you knew that the neighborhood that you're about to knock, that the, the next 100 doors were all people that you had a personal relationship with from like high school or college or they're a family member or a relative, but you knew that they trusted you. The next 100 doors, how many deals you think you would sell the next 100 doors? You know, and some of them would be like, oh, I'd sell 100 or some of them would be like, oh, you know, 50 or 60. Like either way, your closing rate would be exponentially Ridiculous. higher exponentially higher because the only reason that people aren't buying my product door-to-door is because they don't trust me because as long as I believe that it's a really good product, it takes care of a really solid problem and it's a really affordable, you know, solution to that problem. Like people should buy it really like, the, like people should buy it from you. Yeah. Um, the, the only, the only thing that prevents them from doing it at that point is trust because they don't trust you. Uh, for some reason. Right. So it was the same thing. It was the same thing with, with the podcast stuff. It just made sense to me. I was just like, well, if I can build up enough trust with an audience because I've already helped them with a bunch of stuff for free because I've earned their trust, not because I bought their trust because I've literally earned their trust because of how much value I've offered to them totally for free without ever asking for anything. And then they tell me, Hey, Travis, I'm struggling with getting a podcast off the ground. Then all I have to do is step into that niche and say, Hey, here's exactly how to do that. Like they've already trusted me with, they they, are, they already trust me. Why wouldn't they buy that from me versus somebody else? Because I've already put in the work to get them to trust me, and they've already received a certain amount of value for everything that I put out there. So. Like I'm, I'm the obvious solution to their problem at that point. So that was the idea from the beginning, bro. There was never like, I didn't have a business idea at the beginning. I didn't have like a offer that I was selling people into or anything like that. It was literally just like, let's start creating content around this. Hopefully build up a community of people that find it somewhat valuable and then ask them what they want to see from me. And that's essentially how I built built my whole business.
0: Wow. And yeah, value first. I heard value a lot in there. I mean, that's really, that's really it. And just coming with that, that notion of, I'm just here to help. I mean, as much as I can, <laughs> that's, yep. that's really, I like what David Meltzer says. I don't know if you've uh, have, uh, had him on, yeah, we had exactly. him in. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I had I had a times. What a crazy he's guy. I mean, we've had him uh, in our mastermind and, uh, you know, he's like, I'd like to ha- make a lot of money to help a lot of people, you know? And, and he yep. does those free calls every week. And it's like, the dude doesn't need to, I mean, you talk Gary V too. I met him and, and he's crazy. Um, you know, and, and, and he doesn't have to do it. It cha- completely changed my mind on him when I saw 300 people lined up and it'd be like, this guy, does not need to do this. Right. So, yep. um, but it's really, yeah, but that's, that's what's
1: gotten him to that point.
0: You got it. Right. So yeah. Exactly and, and that. that that's what, you know, when the, when the 80 year old person respects you and the, and the, you know, 11 year old respects you, I mean, that's like, you know, it's invaluable at that point. That means you're you're doing something right, but yeah, value and more value <laughs> and then yep. building up and, you know, kind of strategizing from there makes sense to me. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I just wanted to, uh, uh, ended on kind of a piece of advice. Uh, if you had, uh, you know, a piece of advice for somebody, you know, in my position, uh, you know, 21 years old, just getting out of college, what would you say, you know, just generally, or do you have like maybe a number one thing that's really, you know, in your life that's helped you or or, or when you were young, uh, just kind of, you know, just to wrap it up, kind of a piece of advice for, for for the audience.
1: Yeah, first off, I would, you know, just really want to acknowledge you for doing what you're doing already, because that's usually my first piece of advice for somebody your age is to start a podcast, just to expose yourself to a bunch of different ideas and get to know a bunch of other leaders who you want to get in contact with. Like that by itself is a huge accomplishment. So congrats to you for, for acknowledging, for, for noticing that and for taking advantage of it. Um, and then the other thing that I would say would be going back to the beginning of our conversation, which is try to prioritize learning over earning. And sometimes it's tempting because I'm sure like you're, you seem like a really well-spoken bright kid. You could probably go make a lot of money at some sort of job, you know, somewhere.
0: Yeah, Uh, I quit my job.
1: (laughs) But really like, it's really just like, take, it's like, do as much as you can to get to know yourself and then, and then try to get in with people who are doing big things in the world and learn as much as you can from those people while you're still at this age. And then take, you know, like I'll I'll give you another example. Amy Porterfield is somebody who crushes it online. She's made multi, multi millions of dollars from her online courses and things. She started as a member of Tony, of Tony Robbins digital marketing team. So like she helped Tony Robbins take all of his Uh, programs from just like infomercials and traditional forms of advertisement like he was doing for decades and move it all online. So she got to be in on deal on on conversations with, you know, Tony Robbins consulting people like Frank Kern and, you know, the, the OGs of online marketing, because obviously Tony hired the best people to help him take his programs online. So now Amy is helping Like it is, so Amy's basically implementing all of the things that people like Frank Kern are telling her to do with Tony's programs. And she's learning through experience while getting paid money to do it. And then after she helped with the whole transition, a year or two later, she stopped and started doing her own stuff. But guess what? She just got like 30 years of education in two or three years of learning while she's making a paycheck wow. and then was able to implement it into her own business and create her own success outside of that space and has now gone on to do multiple, multiple seven figures, probably eight figures. I don't know for sure, but probably eight figures I would assume because like just her last launched at like 3 million. So I would assume that she's like over ten, over eight figures for her like, you know, career earnings since she left the Tony Robbins team. But that's like, that's an example of what I would say to somebody is just like, go find somebody that you really believe in. Get around them learn as much as you can from them and uh and then take that into into your next venture you know what i mean like people people can always take your job but they can never take your knowledge or your connections so focus a lot on the things that people can't take from you you know what i mean because you know covid taught us right now that that anybody can take a job from you at the drop of a hat you know what i mean so uh, but people can't take your knowledge they can't take your experiences and they can't take your um, your connections from you so um yeah just uh, try to try to try to not get lured in by the shiny object syndrome and, um, and try to stay disciplined to, learn, to learning and, and becoming the best version of you that you can be. Because that best version of you that you can be is worth a lot more money than the version of you right now. You know, and that goes for everybody. That goes for everybody, no matter what age you are. Like, the best version of you is a lot higher earner. The best version of you deserves better things, better quality life, better relationships. Like, it's just on the other side of a lot of work. So you got to be willing to put in the work to get there. Thank you so
0: much, Travis, uh, for doing this. If you could, please just, uh, you know, uh, where, where they can find you on, on uh, you know, most of the audience is on Instagram. So Instagram, Facebook, uh, website.
1: Yeah, um, sure. So Instagram is just at Travis Chappell, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L two Ps, two Ls, um, at Travis Chapel on Instagram. And then uh, if you want to learn more about me or find my podcasts, either one of them or my YouTube channel, just head over to travischapel.com. You can find everything over there. So C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L, travischappell.com.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to another episode of Bobcast. As you know, uh, we are on all platforms, even the ones nobody uses. Thank you so much, Travis, for, for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Bobcast. Today on Bobcast, we had Travis Chappell. Another successful cold direct message on Instagram. That's what's up. Gotta love that stuff. Uh, make sure to visit SodaBeats.com. The best way to make beats online. S-O-D-A-B-E-A-T-S. Sign up for your account. You need no softwares. Need, you need not download things. SodaBeats.com. Make Beats right now, literally right now. Um, And everything else at SullyBop.com, the new website, which is launched. SullyBop.com, S-U-L-L-Y-B-O-P.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Bobcast. See you guys on the next one.